and thank you for joining me for today's episode of Big Ideas in Eating Disorders. In this series, we hear from people in the field of eating disorders who share with us their professional and personal journeys, experiences, reflections, and big ideas that never quite get represented in this way in the standard scientific meetings and publications. I'm Kathy Pike, clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Columbia University, and I'm the host of Big Ideas in Eating Disorders. I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Yael Latzer from Israel. Dr. Latzer is professor and former dean of the School of Social Work at the Faculty of Social Welfare and Health Sciences at the University of Haifa and research director and founder and former director of the Eating Disorders Institution, Psychiatric Division, Rambam Healthcare Campus in Haifa, in Israel. Yael, I'm delighted to have you join us today. Oh, it's my honor and pleasure to be part of this amazing project. (laughs) Thank you. So let's start at the beginning. Where, Where did you grow up? And... When did you get a sense that you were interested in issues around social work and mental health? Well, let me give you a a brief glimpse about uh, the beginning of Israel. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm first generation in Israel. Most of our generation, our parents are not from Israel. Mm -hmm. They immigrated to Israel from many, many countries in the world. Uh, part of them came before from Zionistic uh, uh, ideas, with Zionistic idea, but most of the people in Israel, they came after a tremendous trauma. Mm-hmm. So we are the first generation who gave hope to these parents mm-hmm. who suffered so much and all their wishes were on us. Mm-hmm. They So uh, at the beginning, the the founding of the country, so we were, most of us were very poor. Mm -hmm. We were very happy and we didn't feel like we are poor. But if you compare it to, according to the European CEO, you know, the the definition of of poverty, we were all poor. But Mm -hmm. we were very happy and, and the feeling of, founding a new country and having security in our country, we felt it and inserted it from our parents. So we were, you know, we were most of the time outside, playing outside, enjoying life, enjoying the freedom. Most of our parents, they sacrificed their future because they had to come to, and with their traumas and to work not according to their choices. And we had to fulfill all their dreams. Uh-huh. So they put a lot of, you know, most of us, I'm talking about most of us, you know, in our generation, which is a very successful generation, by the way. Uh-huh. Although we didn't we didn't have all the opportunities, but it it's relatively very successful. So that's that's the history. I, I was born in Jerusalem next to the border. Uh-huh. And I went, unfortunately, through many wars during my life as a child, as an adolescent, and as a soldier, and afterwards as a mother for, 
for a boy who has to go to combat, combat that nobody will understand what does it mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we are still, you know, in a surviving mode, but it's absolutely different. Israel is not the same. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a brief glimpse about the history. And Yael, in terms of the history, uh, just to to anchor this a bit, Israel's founded in 1948, officially. It Your generation is the first generation to, born to parents of immigrants. When you say they sacrificed and they didn't get to work the way they wanted, you're, the implication is they were coming from places where they had careers or education that they couldn't apply in Israel. And so, as you say, they or they stopped the uh-huh. war, right? And couldn't you know continue because you know they had to work right. in order to support themselves and to support uh-huh. the families. Right. So they had to stop. Most of the people had to stop their own career mm-hmm. and all their you know dreams mm-hmm. to aid the country. Mm-hmm. To aid the country in building Israel. Yes, in building it. So you mentioned that uh, you were a soldier. Maybe you could just share the what the requirements are, what the tradition is in Israel around service as part so, of your training and coming to the, the profession that you pursued. Yes. So the, being in the army in Israel, it's part of our socialization. It's not like in other armies. It's the uh, like we see it's a people army. Mm-hmm. So people can get their profession during the army, they get the social activity the, during the army, and they get acquainted with many friends and and uh, getting to know young people. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very important, you know, as part of our your steps in life. So after high school, a female are going to the army for about two years mm-hmm. and male for three years. Mm-hmm. You go through uh, some more uh, like uh, professions, more demanding profession, then you have to stay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So when I went to the army, I was at the beginning uh, like in a, in a route to be a commander. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, you know, the, the seeds of being psychologist and treat people was there and I moved and I was like, we have in, in the army a, a slightly like between social work and, and psychologists who treat a soldier who needed some help. So that mm-hmm. was my position. Uh-huh. Yes. yes. So you got started while you were in the army in this this field. Yes, I started. I liked it. I, I knew that I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I, there, you know, I had few options or to be an interview, a psychologist interviewing to do the selection mm-hmm. or to do it live, practice it. But as a beginning, I was like in a route to be a commander, but then I switched. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the, the, the seeds to treat people and to be connected to people and to work with people, I think I knew it when I was very, very young. Tell us, tell me about that. 
I remember when it was third grade, one of the psychologists came and did a research on us and they asked us, what would you like to be when you will be grown up? Mm-hmm. And I remember writing psychologist. Huh. Yes. So eight years old at that time or thereabouts. Yes. yes. And you yes. already knew. I knew that I would like to work with people. Mm-hmm. And most of the, my life, I did volunteering work with people and uh, with the community mm-hmm. while I was in youth movement. So it was natural to me. It's not something that I was thinking about. Uh-huh. It's just, it was in your DNA. It's my DNA. Uh-huh. I was kind of a pleaser person. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> So what did you want to do when you, when you imagined, I mean, if we go back to when you were eight in third grade, or just as a young girl thinking about going into psychology and mental health, what did that mean? What was, what were the, what intrigued you about that work? I felt like I'm going to save the world. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, if I treat the people and I know how to treat the people and I will give them, I will listen to them, and I will give them patient and new intention, then they will feel better, and they will be able to fulfill their abilities. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt it, you know, like, this is my mission. Uh-huh. And it sounds like you also, from a very early age, had a sense of the trauma and the need for healing. Yes, you are absolutely right. I said that I was a pleaser, but in a way, you know, my name is Yael. It's a very mm-hmm. popular, popular name in Israel mm-hmm. uh, from that time. But my my grandmother's name was Yael also, and it was oh. uncommon to have this name. And when my mother was born, she was the only child. Her mother passed away. In and childbirth? In childbirth. Uh. And she grew, uh, she, her, her grandmother mm-hmm. raised her. And then she, she her father uh, asked her to immigrate to Israel when she was nine years old. And she had the fantasy that she's going to find, uh, you know, some, you know, she had the dream of a nine-year-old girl that her father paid attention to her only the first time of her life. Mm-hmm. without having a mother and only a stepmother and to immigrate to Israel and to live in a tent. You know, it was a very hard time during the 50s in Israel. Mm-hmm. And since I was very, very young, when I was born as a girl, she named me after her mother, of, of course. And I took the, the position of being her mother. Mm-hmm. And you know, she passed away only recently, so I'm t- talking about it, and I'm, do- I'm doing some good for her, you know, mm-hmm. like, her. Uh, we had a very, very strong connection, mm-hmm. and, but I was mothering my mother. Yeah, I was her mother in many ways, but I had it in my genes, because mm-hmm. we have three daughters and one son, three siblings, three girls and one son, but I was more dedicated to this position. Mm-hmm. And they were afraid from it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, you are talking about trauma. It was part of the trauma that I was trying to overcome uh, this with a guilt feeling. But I'm talking about myself now, but I'm talking about the whole generation. Right. I have many right. friends 
who went through some other trauma with the Holocaust and they feel the guilt of their mm-hmm. parents and they try to compensate. Mm-hmm. So it's not only me, I'm representing very big part of our generation and in particular those who choose the therapeutic you know journey right so you have all this uh, it's not quite a blank canvas but you have all of this space as you're building your your own career but also in this big picture of building Israel and you know you are really passionate about psychology, mental health. Uh, what is the, at Haifa University, how do you pursue a degree in mental health? What were your options and how did you wind up picking social work? So it was because in the army, I did mainly social work. Mm-hmm. So it was natural for me to go and to study social work and mm-hmm. to go to mental health track. Mm-hmm. So the first degree was so clinical social work with mental health care a track. So I was in medical, mental health hospitals in the north part of Israel. And then I did the second degree in clinical social work. Mm-hmm. And in between, I did psychotherapy. You know, we have a special degree, a three years school of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. For those who, who want to be a therapist, uh, to do clinical work, they have to complete another degree. Got and it. then if you would like to add some other, you know, specialties, like I did IPT, interpersonal mm-hmm. psychotherapy and family therapy, but this is afterwards. Uh-huh. So, Yael, you're studying mental health, you're pursuing clinical work. How did you get to eating disorders? Well, it was a very unique Coincident. Mm-hmm. You know, in Israel during that time, we didn't have eating disorder in, in Israel. Mm-hmm. We had only one small unit in the center of the country mm-hmm. that was led for adolescent uh, and children of adolescent, and that was led uh, by one of the psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that we had in Israel. We are, you know. In terms of the epidemia, we are about 15 years after America. Mm-hmm. So it was around the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the psychiatrists came from Boston and she trained in eating disorder. And she came and she was doing with me, you know, I was mo- mainly on the field of anxiety. That's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, crisis intervention and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And she said, and I was looking to do my PhD. And she said, why don't you do your, your PhD on eating disorder and we can work together? Mm-hmm. So I said, we have no eating disorder in Israel. What are you talking about? So she said, I'm sure we will have. Go mm-hmm. ahead. And I remember, you know, she gave me Dr. Vata calling. I really liked her. She was very nice. She gave me a lot of material she, she brought from Boston. Uh-huh. So Dr. Herzog was her mentor. Uh-huh. And uh, I start, you know, and then I applied to medical school. It was very natural for me. It's, it's a special track in medical school in the Technion. I don't know if you're familiar. Mm-hmm. It's like. Like it's a similar to MIT. Mm-hmm. 
so I applied to medical school to do doctor of science, medical science. Mm-hmm. I was related, you know, affiliated to psychiatry. And the head of the unit, he said that it's very natural for me to do it in medical school. So I I applied and and the thesis was on eating disorder and family. Interesting. So what and was I, the thesis itself? Do you recall at this point? Yes, it was about a, a communication within the family. Uh-huh. I read Minushin, I read Palazzoli, I read the, the papers of Ivan Eisler from, from Motsley. So I was familiar with all the family, what we call now FBT. Uh-huh. I was really expert at that. And I did my PhD on that. Mm-hmm. And then I won a grant, mm-hmm. a special grant for my special work with the veterans in Israel to go to the Menninger Foundation mm-hmm. in Kansas. It was in Topeka, Kansas. Uh-huh. So, Yael, tell us <clears throat> how you got to Menninger. During my work in mental health, one of my leading work and was very, very important was to found and lead a special program for soldiers who went through PTSD. Mm-hmm. I did it with the head of the unit, Professor Hefetz, and uh, as an award for my work, I got this scholarship Fantastic. to do some work in the in the, the Menninger Foundation and to do some work on veterans. Mm-hmm. But when I came there, I said, my PhD is on eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And this is a very special opportunity for me to learn. And they had a very big unit on eating disorder. That's right. And the head of the unit was Kathy Zerby. Mm-hmm. She's my very, very good friend. And she did an amazing work. And she was my mentor there. And mm-hmm. I learned eating disorder there. And I learned family therapy with eating disorder there. And when I returned after two years, I was ready to uh, to uh, found the unit, the, the, the center of eating disorder. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, Israel is, uh, as I told you, we were we had to fight for everything. There is no money. I think it's all over the world. So I came to the head of the unit, uh, the psychiatrist and the head of the division. They said, I, w- I would like to to open a clinic on eating disorders. Mm-hmm. So he said, but we have no budget for it. So I said, don't worry, give me two hours of psychiatrist, give me two hours of social work, two hours of dietitian, two hours of nurse, and I will manage. <laughs> said, okay, I know you, Yael. Thank yeah. you. Let's see what you can do. Uh-huh. And that's how it started. That's how it started. So you got just per- uh-huh. some percent time from members of your team to devote to helping you get this launched. Mm -hmm. But this can-do attitude uh, and this can-do vision around building something in Israel is very much your story throughout. So you get this program set up. What did you, how did it start and how did it grow um, over the years? So my mentor who teach me eating disorder in Israel 
she decided to leave the country and to go back <laughs> to Boston uh-huh. so by myself. So I had to find another psychiatrist. But, you know, the end of the story is this is one of the biggest center of eating disorder in Israel. Mm-hmm. So starting with 45 patients, I remember, we mm-hmm. had no referrals because we didn't have any eating disorder. And then when they heard the Trumba Medical Center had opened and they can give some services. To, and then we had, I remember 45 patients, I had to do family therapy with wow. 45 patients. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a role model for many others to 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 open in Israel. And now mm-hmm. we have very big, you know, mm-hmm. treatment facilities in Israel. Right. So now Israel has a number of eating disorder programs around the country, but yes. your the center that you founded still continues and is serving the community. Does it focus in a particular area? I was focused mainly on FBT. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did mainly. Mm-hmm. We did, it was before it was evidence-based. Mm-hmm. The project of Ivan Eisler, we learned from him. It was evidence-based mm-hmm. by his research, but it was not later on. That's what we did, and it was very, very successful, very mm-hmm. much. Of mm-hmm. course, multidisciplinary model, as you all know from all over the world, but we did, and then we added CBT, we added DBT, we added IPT, mm-hmm. uh, all the evidence-based, and we sent people to Christopher Burferman to learn uh, CBT and the so we enrich ourselves. You know, I send many colleagues of uh, I, of of mine. I was I was leading this uh, this center for twenty five years, and now it's even flourishing since I left. Mm-hmm. So we have day treatment there, and so it's it's a very big one and known one. So you've been at this for a while, and really helped build the field in Israel. In the course of that time, I'm sure there were many observations that you made. I know there was a lot of clinical work and research work that integrated in ways that informed your own ideas about an understanding of eating disorders. How did you get to your big idea? What's the big idea that's on your mind today? And how did you get there? I was thinking about the modeling law that I was very active in. It was very pioneering in Israel, but I decided to uh, to focus on something that that I feel that it's part of me. Mm-hmm. While treating these uh, severe cases of anorexia, I was observing the same syndrome that all the people who works with eating, eating disorder observe: the revolving door syndrome. Mm-hmm that they hospitalized. I'm talking about the severe cases. Mm-hmm. They return to the center and then they get outpatient, but they cannot cope outside. Mm-hmm. They need some skills. Uh, they don't get enough support from uh, the family around. It's not that the family is not good, but you know they needed more tools, coping mm-hmm. tools in order to manage mm-hmm. and not to go back to the symptom immediately like many of them. And I understand that they needed like transitioning period in a home-like surrounding. 
Uh, at that time, only mental health in Israel, according to the law, got a special support covered by the government, but mm-hmm. not eating disorder. Eating disorder, really, you know, it was not mentally ill. It's it, it a disorder. That's why they didn't get this basket. Mm-hmm. They, we call it basket of rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. I had to fight in order to, to change the law and mm-hmm. to include eating disorder within the law. But in order to do it, I had to provide some new projects. Mm-hmm. So we have in Israel, in the social security, there is a special department mm-hmm. that we call it a special department for a special project that the government is not covering. Mm-hmm. They give a lot of money if I succeed. Mm-hmm. I applied. If I succeed and it sounds reasonable, they pay me for a like a, a trial period, like a, mm-hmm. three years. I got uh, I, I got three million shekels, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. About one million dollar, about one million dollar for a three years pilot. You know, uh, and I, what we uh, we created, it's not similar to the transitional house in America. In America, it's connected to the hospital and the people who lead this, it's, it's professional people, mm-hmm. like psychologists, psychiatrists, and they don't feel the same sense of home-like. Mm-hmm. So what we would like to create is something different from, the, from that. And uh, we, uh, it was one in the center led by Eitan Gore and one in the north that I created. Mm-hmm. And it was a house. I had to find a house. Mm-hmm. I had to find a, a nonprofit to run it. A nonprofit, mm-hmm. how do you call to host it? Host it or sponsor it? Yes, to, to uh-huh. sponsor. I had to give uh-huh. the money to lead it. Uh-huh. And I had to get to get to get an approval from the Ministry of Welfare, mm-hmm. Minister Ministry of uh, Health, because the condition that the Social Security gave me in order to give me this fund is that I the government promised that if it will be successful after three years, they will cover it, and uh-huh. they will change the law. And they will continue giving them the basket of rehabilitation like they give to psychotic people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we start this trial. So it was mm-hmm. uh, outside the hospital in a communal part, mm-hmm. just not so stimulated, you know, not to be. And they had to go, well, the 14 girls, it was about, above 18, be, between 18 to 30. Mm-hmm. They had to. To, to get accepted, they had to be asymptomatic, like after hospitalization. Uh-huh. They had to keep BMI of minimum 19, mm-hmm. and they had to eat supervised. Mm-hmm. So we had a mother house, we had director, we had nutrition, and we have counselors. Mm-hmm. And the counselor did most of the work. They were like friends. It mm-hmm. was student of social work, student of nutrition, and student of psychology. Mm-hmm. They gave them the support, like a friend kind of support, 24-7. Mm-hmm. And they had to stay there to find work, studying, 
volunteering, whatever, mm-hmm. how to stay mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. So the residents had to do that. The requirement was that they were engaged constructively in work or studies. But they had to, to keep the balance of at least BMI mm-hmm. 19 and not mm-hmm. to be symptomatic. Of course, you know, most of them become symptomatic, but mm-hmm. they had three levels of warning mm-hmm. before they. So it became very, very successful. Mm-hmm. After three years of this trial, uh, it was approved by, by the government. What a huge success. Yes. And now in Israel, I think, I don't think you have it anywhere in the world. Uh-huh. If you if you will succeed to get into rehabilitation basket, mm-hmm. you get funded with about $3,000 per month. Mm-hmm. to get your rehabilitation process by the mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. It's very, very unique. Mm-hmm. So if you want to study or you want to find a new job or you need housing or mm-hmm. you need supervision of nutrition or you need counselor to supervise you while you are. So there are many stages now, not mm-hmm. only this rehabilitation house. So now we have, because it was so successful, the government agreed to open another two. So now we have four rehabilitation houses in Israel. Uh-huh. One in the center, one in the north, one in Jerusalem, and one in Beersheba, which is the south. So we can cover the whole country. Mm-hmm. So it was a very, very unique project uh-huh. uh, that I think, you know, can, can give an example to many other countries talking about severe cases mm-hmm. of eating disorder, the whole continuum of eating disorder, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. only anorexia, and to give hope to the to them and to their family. Mm-hmm. Because when you enter this vicious circle mm-hmm. of being in a, I, I don't like even to term it chronic because I think you label it when you, you call them to chronic because mm-hmm. I know personally many who were in a very severe and enduring cases that now are okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They live their life. So we have to be optimistic. And that's the vision that I had, that we had to give them the hope that they can do it. Mm-hmm. They need these tools. Mm -hmm. the world was overwhelming for them right so Yael this is a uh, a residential program a residential house individuals with eating disorders come there they've been in intensive treatment so they're in a pretty stable space when they move into the home how long can they stay and do some people stay for years? Do some, is it a time-limited commitment? How does that work? So they get the treatment for their eating disorder, not in the house. They uh-huh. get it in some other places like Ramba Medical Center or some other places. Mm-hmm. At the house, they get only the skills, the coping skills, how to manage life. Uh-huh. Okay. So they uh-huh. have many groups and uh, 
and they are supervised, etc. They can stay there between one year to a year and a half. Uh-huh. And then after this stage, there is a, a like that they're going uh, by, to live by themselves and it's covered by, by the government also. Mm-hmm. And the dietitian and social work come twice a week to see them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to see how they're doing. And then after this stage, they are going to live by themselves. Uh-huh. So that's that's a journey. Uh-huh. They don't need more than that. Uh-huh. When, I, when I wrote the program, I... I I intend to have to give them only one year, uh-huh. but we found that it was not enough. Uh-huh. We created another stage, which is it's next to the house, to the, the house, the rehabilitation mm-hmm. house. They live around this area and the social mm-hmm. work and the dietitian of the house comes to visit them. Mm-hmm. And they can come. It's like it's like a community house. They can come during Shabbat. For Shabbat dinner, they can come and visit. It's like a house, mm-hmm. and they live by themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's an economic thread to the story that also is associated with quality of life, right? So it's clearly better for somebody to be supported in a continuous way and build these skills and community and stay out of the hospital versus going into the hospital Maybe they cost about the same, but clearly quality of life is better. And if it costs less, even even better. Of course, you know, the, the government, that's what they were thinking about the economic mm-hmm. part. And, and, and it makes sense. But what I was thinking is about the, the, you know, there is a big debate about how much to invest in treatment with this mm-hmm. kind patient mm-hmm. I felt that they deserve mm-hmm. what they need in order to have a better quality of life and to be optimistic for them and for their family and it found to be successful so we have to be optimistic about these cases that's and right not to, not to give up that's right so when we think about the the um, this innovation that you've set up, in the world of global mental health, we we trade ideas and we learn from each other. What would you say to eating disorder professionals in other countries about what's really important about making this model work? And what are some surprises? What are some challenges that people should keep in mind if they think to themselves, wow, that sounds like a really good idea. I'd like to try this in my hometown. What I can say is, <laughs> but this is my point of view. You know, mm-hmm. you have to look at people as a people. Mm-hmm. According to their needs, we are not the same. Mm-hmm. And everybody needs something else. Mm-hmm. And some people were born with a, a lot of qualities, but they're very sensitive. And life is too hard for them and mm-hmm. they need more support and more coping skills and we should give them mm-hmm. we should enable them uh, to go through life in a, with more strengths and that's our role as mental health profession and not to give up by saying you know you are 10 years suffering from eating disorder mm-hmm. 
So you have no hope. Mm-hmm. This, this project gives hope mm-hmm. to families and patients to believe in themselves and to do things slowly, not to move, you know, forward with the same rhythm like everybody, mm-hmm. but to be in the routine of life. So that's, that's my message. And the more centers like that rehabilitation center, uh, the better, because when we talk about mental health in general, rehabilitation is the key words mm-hmm. to go back to the community and not necessarily to get cured, mm-hmm. but to live a healthy life. You know, that's, it's, it's a difference be- be- between cure and remission. Mm-hmm. So you can live with the illness, but live good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a profound message, right? To remind all of us that there's quality of life at all stages of, and all different ways of living this life. And we really, everyone lives with some, let's say some burden of some sort. And for our eating disorder patients, for them, the challenges in life are shaped, maybe shaped uh, significantly uh, by their eating disorder symptoms, but they can live a high quality life is what you're saying. And we need to focus on quality of life. So what do you see in terms of engaging government officials? You had to really you know, you're not just building a program, but you're building a program in partnership with government support and government engagement that is pretty much a requirement around the world to build a program like this, right? Maybe in some places, something like this can be set up as a private pay opportunity, but that will only be for a very small number of people to make it accessible to the larger population, we need government engagement. How did you make this initiative make sense to the government decision makers? And what would you say to people who are thinking about doing this in in some other country? What do they need to be, how do they need to frame it? How do they need to be presenting this in a way that's persuasive? In two ways, one, the economic one, because mm-hmm. the government pay a lot of money. And, you know, in Israel, it's actually public mm-hmm. health treatment. And the, the government pay a lot of money and uh, for, for health care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of them is economic. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the philosophy of, you know, getting, you know, into the community mm-hmm. in terms of mental health, not to keep them in the illness zone, mm-hmm. but to bring them back into the community. And this is also economic mm-hmm. because they're better people for, for the country. Mm-hmm. They're better able to engage and, and be engaged citizens. What we need now is another a rehabilitation house for those in a very, very, very severe cases like the BMI 12, mm-hmm. 13, 
Mm-hmm. That they can't stay in the hospital forever. Mm-hmm. And they needed a special rehabilitation house. This mm-hmm. is another thing that somebody else will do, not me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you're ready to pass the baton and um, champion the next generation. In that spirit, uh, as you look ahead, Yael, what do you hope the next generation will pick up and run with? Well, it's very hard for me to separate from the situation that we are now, <laughs> because mm-hmm. first of all, we need democracy in Israel. And when you have a democracy and free country, you can do everything. Mm-hmm. So that's my message. <laughs> yeah. So Yael, as you look back over your career and really being a pioneer in Israel in building the, the field of eating disorders, developing programs for individuals suffering from eating disorders, working on policy fronts. You you briefly mentioned your work, and I just want to underscore the efforts that you put forward to around policy and eating disorders and changing regulations around the modeling industry, for example, in Israel in, in very constructive ways, building these rehabilitation homes that are really a model for the world. You've contributed so much to the field. And as you mm-hmm. look ahead to your those who you are mentoring, what are some of the exciting things that you see that they're that they're doing? Well, I think the main effort now should be targeted into prevention per, mm-hmm. uh, elementary like this. Uh, We have uh, the elementary prevention, the secondary prevention, and the third. I think we have to target the prevention from kindergarten, from first year, uh, giving a lot of instruction and support to mothers, to first child mothers, Mm -hmm. and then secondary among adolescents, to do a lot of prevention program among adolescents, and to focus on parents because parents are our, you know, we are internalizing their messages. Mm-hmm. So that's that out talking about your own experience of internalizing the message from your mom and the the ways in which our social connections are so foundational in terms of who we are and our experience of place in the world. And I think that that comes through in terms of the work that you've done and the strategies that you've implemented around context, social context and interpersonal relations and how foundational they are to our health. So thank you very much for joining us today. Congratulations on this pioneering work that you've done in Israel and that you have shared with so many of us in so many places around the globe. Uh, You've really contributed dramatically and in very important and substantive ways to improving the quality of life for people who have eating disorders. Thanks. Thanks very much for you for choosing me to be part of this amazing project. Thanks, Kathy. Pleasure. (laughs) 